0: Welcome to this episode of out of the best books, the podcast where we deep dive into classic literature and have conversations about what we've learned and discovered along the way. We love all things books and reading and we want to share our love of the classics with you. We hope to inspire you to read along with us and join in the conversation. I'm Amity and I'm Laura. Let's get started. So today we're talking about a super short book. It's really really small but it packs a punch and I think it will lead to some really good thoughts and discussion. So our book for today is called Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes by Eleanor Coerr. It is a children's book and it's one that I guess maybe technically it wouldn't be considered a classic yet but it is a modern classic. It was originally published in 1977. So it maybe hasn't been around for 60 years, but it will be. The story is timeless. Yeah, What do you consider a classic? Is it 60 years? One scholar said that it needed to be something that had been around for at least three generations. If yeah. you consider a generation about 20 years, you say maybe 60 years, but...
1: So this was written the or published the year my husband was born. So yeah, not really.
0: <laughs> so
1: that's okay. Not, it not says like
0: six years, but yeah, I it literally believe.
1: says on the front "Puffin Modern Classics." So I guess modern, yes, classes,
0: but it's gonna be a classic. It will. It's one of those that will be around for a long time. I think the thing about when you. read a lot of books you start to see which ones are going to be around for a long time and you're usually right because they have a story that is wonderful and touches you deeply and changes you and it's a story that applies to everyone everywhere around the world yeah it's just something that will never grow old in the way that it affects you it takes place in japan this is post world war ii japan and as we know more specifically it's in hiroshima Japan. And of course, that's where one of the atomic bombs was dropped at the very end of World War II. Devastation. You know, the bombs were horrible. Two bombs were dropped on Japan. One in Nagasaki, one in Hiroshima. Killed thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. That was the immediate effect. You don't always hear about or talk about the after effect you know, of course, there was lots of rebuilding to do. All that radiation in the air, it affected children for a long time and just people in general for a really long time after that. So this little girl, its this is a true story about Sadako. And she was born in 1943, so just two years before the bomb was dropped. She was two years old when it dropped. And almost 12, like 10 to 12 years later, she is affected by the radiation of the bomb. And the common cancer that that people contracted because of the radiation was leukemia.
1: I thought it was interesting that they prayed every day not to have the radiation affect them. Yes. And
0: for years later, they prayed. Yeah, <laughs> it could and it would. They'd seen many people die from it.
1: And didn't her grandma die? Yes. Yes.
0: I believe that she died bombing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they probably knew lots of people that had, I, I mean, they did. lots of people who died in the bombing. So yeah, that's kind of the setting for it. Chapter one is called Good Luck Signs. So in chapter one, we just get this little introduction to Sadako. She's, again, living in Hiroshima, Japan. It is 1954. So nine years after the bomb was dropped, she's 11 years old. And it talks about how she is a runner. She loves to run. And her mom always said that she could run even before she could walk. And it just happens to be August 6th. And this is called Peace Day in Japan. And I believe it still is because that was actually the day that the bomb was dropped. And so every year on August 6th, they now call it Peace Day. And it's like a memorial day for them to remember all those who died and also like the end of the war as well. Sadako has this little, the sweet little family. Her dad, Mr. Sasaki is a barber. She has a mother, and then she has a brother, Masahiro, who's 14. She has a sister, Mitsu, and Eiji is a brother. Yeah, so there's four kids. Anyway, Sadako is super excited because they're going to go to this carnival, This, which is the memorial. It's become sort of a celebration. And there's probably some people who have a, a problem with it being a celebration because it's like all these people died. Why are we celebrating? But it's like they've tried to take this tragedy and turn it into something happy. I mean, just like on our Memorial Day, which is supposed to be for remembering those who died, we have barbecues, you know? So it's kind of similar. And this is when they talk about how her grandmother was killed on the day of the bombing. Anyway, they get together. They say a little prayer. Mr. Sadako, like you said, he prays that his family would be protected from the atom bomb disease called leukemia. And I just wanted to put this in here. So many still died from the disease, even though the atom bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima nine years before. It had filled the air with radiation, a kind of poison that stayed inside people for a long time. So they eat breakfast, they clean up, and then they start to go and we find out that like sadako is all about good luck omens she sees this little spider growing across the floor and she feels like a spider is good luck sign so today is going to be a good day
1: okay so chapter two peace day it's the same day we're still talking about peace day and she's gonna run and go to her friend chizuko these two little girls have been friends since kindergarten And it's just funny because she, you know, goes to run and her mom says, it's too hot. Don't go so fast. And then she says, well, she's always in such a hurry to be the first that she never stops to listen. And so she's always running. And Mr. Sasaki says, well, did you ever see her walk when she could run, hop or jump? I know some people like that.
0: I know. (laughs) <laughs> and I love it because it just really paints this picture. She's just so energetic and lively and just on the go and has so much life and youth. And she just, she loves life. She's just vivacious.
1: Yeah, it just reminds me of like, I mean, I have a sister like that, that just she ran before she walked. And then Presley, our little six-year-old, we're always like, she starts doing this. Well, she's always got a lot of energy, but at night, right before she goes to bed, she gets way more energy. And so, but we're always like, where does she get all this? But anyway, yeah. she's doing like that. <laughs> um. So she goes and gets her friend. They go to the Peace Park and they're going through the building.
0: What I love is, so at the entrance to the Peace Park, people filed through the memorial building in silence. On the walls were photographs of the dead and dying in a ruined city. The atom bomb, the thunderbolt had turned Hiroshima into a desert. And so they have like all these names for that day, names for the bomb, names for the sickness. It has deeply affected them. As you I I don't know if we can really possibly imagine in the these days that we live in how much something like that would just it would just get you to your core to where you you have to talk about it. They must have pictures of it up and so
1: she doesn't want to look at them she's scared so mm-hmm. she they run through the building really fast and and she says I remember it and they're like her friend is like you were just a baby. <laughs> she's like well I do. So they go and get cotton candy. So yeah, it's like a carnival, right? Or like Mm -hmm. a festival that they're going to. They have good smelling food. They are selling everything from bean cakes to chirping crickets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think they're actually selling crickets to eat or
0: crickets. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: And there's still people there that have scars from the bombing. They look awful because they were burnt. Yeah, And she doesn't like looking at them either.
0: Part of the whole festivities is just that everybody lights, they have these paper candles and they write the names of they do one for each member of the family and they write the names of relatives who had died in a thunderbolt. And then they all release all these paper candles onto the Otar river. And so that would just be very beautiful. It made me, that made me think of Tangled when they have like the floating lanterns and stuff, but these are, they are floating lanterns. They just are on the river, not up in the sky, but very beautiful. And really a wonderful memorial, I think.
1: Yeah. They kind of, we kind of do that kind of stuff here, you know, release balloons on Mm -hmm. like the anniversary of somebody's death or um, have you seen those burning lanterns that you light and then they like fly up and like, yeah, those are kind of cool.
0: That is really cool.
1: It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. So there's all these candles on on the river and she just comes home and she is happy about everything that happened in the day. If you remember she, what you said about the spider, her brother was like, that's not good luck. And she's like, he was wrong. That was good luck. And today was a great day. Yeah. And tomorrow she's going to tell him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Reminder, the spider was good luck. Yeah. And she does, it's like, she just finds the best in everything. And she just, I don't know how it's to say it. She just loves life. In the autumn, chapter three, Sadako's Secret. In the autumn, she comes home, she races home from school and We find out that she was chosen from her class, which is called the bamboo class, to be on the relay team. And she's so excited about that because that could mean that she would be on the junior high relay team the next year. And Mr. Sasaki, her dad, is so proud of this. He feels like it brings their family honor. So she works really hard. She practices every day to run really well with that relay team. The day of the big race comes, she's going to be in this relay race with her teammates and and go against other teams. And, you know, she gets there and she sees all these other kids and she's like, they just look like they're so much better than me. And so she gets nervous and her mom says, Sadako-chan, it is natural to be a little bit afraid, but don't worry. When you get out there, you will run as fast as you can. Her family is just wonderful. And so she gets out there and she's like, my family loves me no matter what. So she runs the race. She does really well. We don't know exactly how she did, but she, she ran hard and well. But at the very end of the race, she feels this strange sensation of being dizzy. We find out that, sorry, I guess we do know how she did. Her team won. And so she's really excited about that. But she does have this like strange dizziness and she tries to shake it away. As she keeps training, she would have these spouts of dizziness and she just tried to ignore it and think that it would go away. And she decided to not tell her family about it because she didn't want to worry them. And I have the same feeling a lot of times. If I just ignore it, it's going to go away. Yeah. You know, cause a lot of times things do, but instead of going away, it just got worse. New Year's Eve comes along and she decides to just wish away the dizziness. On New Year's Eve, they spend a lot of time just, you know, they have all these special traditions and festivals and Mrs. Sasaki is wearing her beautiful flowered silk kimono and she says, she tells Sadako, as soon as we can afford it, I'm going to get you a beautiful kimono. And Sadako is like, she doesn't say this, but she's just like, I don't even care about a kimono. I just want this dizziness to go away. I think it's really starting to worry her, but it's the new year. Everybody's happy and there's good luck symbols and she just feels like nothing bad can happen.
1: Yeah. I like how every chapter ends with like, with a beginning like this, how could anything bad happen? Yeah, And so that's kind of her attitude throughout all this. It's like positive. I mean, through the whole ordeal that she's going through, it's just constant positivity. She never wants to admit that it's not going to be positive. So it seems like the prayers are working. The good luck is working. And then On a day in February, she's running to school and she gets dizzy and falls down to the ground. So she just kind of gets up and says, I I must be tired. (laughs) And then she tries to get up and then she's wobbly and she falls down again. And so they send her little sister home to get her dad. He comes straight from the barbershop and they take her to the hospital. And she's worried because... I don't know if they take her to the part of the hospital that's for Adam bomb sickness, or if she just knows that part of the hospital is for that. And so she's kind of worried. She probably just has this like feeling, you know, uh, intuition that that's what's going on. So yeah, they take her into the exam room. And so and they'll talk about Dr. Numata a few times that he's the doctor that looks after her, but her mom is worried that it's leukemia. And Sunako doesn't want to hear it. So she covers her ears. Yeah. Yeah. So sweet. I mean, that's how I am. I don't want to.
0: Yeah. I don't want to know.
1: Nope. Don't tell me.
0: If I don't Um, hear it, it can't be true.
1: Right. So nurse, as you say that Yasunaga, and she's in here a lot, right? So she takes her into a hospital room, gets her a kimono and puts her into bed. And they tell her that she needs to stay there for a few weeks for Mm -hmm. some testing. And well, she says, do I really have the atom bomb disease? And he's like, we're not sure. We're going to keep you here. We're going to do some tests she's worried cuz she's going to miss everything at school because mm-hmm. that's what you worry about when you're yeah. 10. The mother is there comforting her and she her mom says what do you want? And she's like I just want to go home. Yeah. She said that she'd heard that a lot of people came to the hospital and never came out so she's worried about that. Basically that's it. She they leave her in the hospital to rest and her family goes home and she's lonely. Mm-hmm.
0: And sad and miserable, Mm -hmm. yeah. So chapter five is called The Golden Crane. And this is the very next morning. And she wakes up and she kind of, she's just waiting to hear the familiar sounds of her home. And then she realizes she's in a hospital bed and everything comes rushing back to her. And how about we all experience that one time or another that we're like deep in a sleep And especially if something really bad has just happened, sleep is this form of escapism and we dream that it's never happened. And we're very sure when we wake up, it was all a nightmare and then we wake up and all all comes rushing back. And it's almost worse for having hoped that it wasn't true. You know, for having those few hours where you're like, oh, everything's fine. And you wake up and you're like, wow, everything is not fine. And I just have to face reality. And this is awful.
1: I have both situations where I'll wake up like that and be like, oh, yeah, it really did happen. And then you'll have really bad dreams and wake up and go, oh, phew.
0: That (laughs) is a really good point. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly had my fair share of those. Of course, she has to go through the rigmarole of being in the hospital and getting the shots and all those things. And it's no fun. But, you know, obviously it has to happen. Her sweet little friend Chizuko comes to visit her. And something that I love about this book is you see all the people that are surrounding her that are so supportive and loving. And you just, you know, they're hurting and they're sad and they're scared, but they want to be there for her. And they are all the time. And it's just, it's beautiful. So Chizuko comes to see her and she's like, I brought you something. And she pulls out this little origami golden paper crane. And she said, it's Good luck. And here's, and of course, we've learned before that Sadako is all about good luck charm moment. So she says, don't you remember that old story about the crane? It's supposed to live for a thousand years. If a sick person folds 1,000 paper cranes, the gods will grant her wish and make her healthy again. And so then she hands Sadako the golden crane. And she says, here's your first one. And Sadako is very deeply touched because she knows that Shizuku doesn't really buy the whole you know, good luck charms and good luck omens, but she knows that Sadako does. And so she's done this very sweet and thoughtful thing for her. So they start working on making paper cranes and Sadako had never actually folded a paper crane before and she finds out it's not that easy, but she doesn't really have anything else to do. So she starts working on them. And then her sweet brother comes to visit her and he's like, you don't have room on your table for a thousand paper cranes. So I'll start hanging them for you. And, well, sorry, he doesn't know at the time that she was going to make a thousand. He's like, you don't have very much room on that table. At that time, she had like 10 or 12. So he's like, I'll hang these for you. So she's like, okay, that's going to be great because I'm going to need you to hang all thousand of them. He's like, what? A thousand? You've tricked me. And then, but he's so sweet. He's like, I'll do it anyhow. Then her little brother and sister come to the hospital with her mom and they see the little paper cranes hanging up. And it's just, it's. Kind of fun and sweet. And Mrs. Sasaki says this poem that she knows, which is a haiku, and I love it. Out of colored paper, cranes come flying into our house. And that's the whole poem. But I love haikus. They're like, they're like the best. They kind of choose which cranes they like the best. Anyway, after everybody leaves, of course, it's lonely. She doesn't have much to do. So she just keeps folding paper cranes.
1: Yeah, I love that. This gives her something to do, like it a is. purpose, you know?
0: Yeah, it's that is an incredible part of this. It, it, everybody yeah. needs a purpose, even when they're yeah. sitting in a hospital bed.
1: So, so chapter six is called Kenji. Everybody is saving paper for her, the kids in her class and her family, every little scrap of paper they can find, they save for to make these paper cranes, even like, you know, fancy paper mm-hmm. <laughs> receipts or whatever, like whatever yeah. they can find, they save for, her. she's just constantly folding these paper cranes. And now she knows, you know, she's been told that she has leukemia. She's also busy with homework. She writes letters. She is just folding these paper cranes like crazy. There's times, I mean, I would assume I've never been that sick, but you know, times when she feels good and times when she feels awful. Mm-hmm. And so when she's feeling good and then she's keeps herself busy, but one day she's feeling really tired and the nurse decides to take her outside to get some sun. And there she meets this little boy named Kenji. And she says that he is small for his age. And he tells her that he's going to die, that he has leukemia from the bomb and that he's going to die soon. And then she's like, no, you're not. You can't die. And he says that you know he wasn't even born when the bomb went off, but he had gotten it from his mother and his yeah. mother and father had died. And so he was living with his aunt. What a sad little situation, but
0: yes, his aunt's only
1: able to visit once a week. So yeah, because
0: she's older.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's just there alone.
0: Well, and it's just, it's really sad because, yeah, like you say, he's such a victim in this because, yeah, he wasn't even alive, but the poison was in his mother's body. And as she conceived him and then gave birth to him, it passed on to him. He's all by himself and he knows that he's going to die very soon. He says, I can read my blood count on the chart and every day it gets worse. And so just a thought that I had, like Sadako's situation is horrible. And we all often find ourselves in horrible situations. There's always somebody that we can still serve because we will most likely find somebody whose situation is harder and worse than ours. And even in her situation, she did. And and she found a way to serve him.
1: Yeah, so so she tells him about the paper cranes and he says- I already knew about it, but it's too late. I'm going to die. The nurse says, well, how do you know that? You know? And he's like, I just, oh, that, you already said that. He just knows because he can read the, the blood count on the chart and it gets worse every day. So anyway, she just takes him back in and Sadako is then feeling sorry for him about not having family and being so sick and thinking, just thinking about him. And so she makes him a crane out of her biggest piece of paper and sends it across the hall to him thinking that it will bring him good luck. And at this point, she's in like 398, 399. Mm -hmm. And so as she's making these, she's counting them off because she needs to get to a thousand. She hears later that Kenji, he one day doesn't show up outside and they must be outside every day. And the nurse tells her that he had passed away. And I just love this. She says, do you think Kenji is up there on a star island? And the nurse says, wherever he is, I'm sure that he's happy now. He has shed that tired, sick body and his spirit is free. I, that just reminds me of, so our cat has cancer. We're just kind of watching her to make, you know, as soon as she gets uncomfortable, then we'll take her into the vet. right? My husband has friends, Facebook friends with somebody that had their 22 year old cat just died. Oh, and he wow. wrote this whole story about what they're imagining their cat is doing now. And I loved it. And I was like, you know, that's such a great outlook to just think like, she's not here with us anymore, but she's out like flying through the air and helping people or whatever. So anyways, I just that kind of reminded me that he's that's on the star really- island. Yeah. yeah. And then Sadako says, I'm going to die next, aren't I? And the nurse is like, no, you're not. And so then immediately she's like, let's fold another crane. Yeah. And it says Sadaku tried hard to believe that. And then she makes 463 464.
0: Like you said, every chapter sort of ends with this, on this hopeful note, she keeps folding them. She's getting closer and closer to a thousand because the nurse is like, as soon as you hit a thousand paper cranes, you're going to live to be an old, old lady. Yeah. So chapter seven is called Hundreds of Wishes. June comes along. So now she's been in the hospital, you know, for what, four months. It's raining a lot. She's growing very pale and listless. The disease is taking over. And at this point, only her parents and Masahiro are allowed to come and see her. But her cute class, her bamboo class, scented Kokeshi doll. It's a wooden doll. And she has it stand next to the golden crayon on her table so she can see it. Her mother is really worried because she just won't eat enough and so the Sasaki family is quite poor you know I mean I think they're okay but nobody was doing well at that point in the 50s in Japan I don't think so they didn't have lots of extra money for you know fun food but her mom was so worried about her so she brought her this furoshiki bundle and inside of it are sadako's very favorite foods an egg roll chicken and rice pickled plums and bean cakes and she tries to eat it but I, apparently one of the symptoms or results of the disease is that her gums are very swollen and so it just hurts it's so painful to even eat so she's so sad she pushes the food away and she sees that it makes her mom sad and and you can see how throughout this book i feel like the author does just such an incredible job of like even with how short it is bringing up the beautiful topics of friendship and family but also how a parent's reactions totally affect their children so much and it's so true like her mom being sad that she couldn't eat, it affected her and it made her think it was her fault. That it was her responsibility to keep her mom happy. And that's that's not what her mom was thinking at all. And her mom has every right to feel sad. But it's amazing how those kinds of emotions totally affect children. And she felt like it was her fault that her mom was really sad. Her mom reads her some poems. Masahiro comes and before he leaves, he gives her a little silver paper that Eiji had sent. I think it was like a wrapper for a piece of chocolate. And so she takes that one, that, and and turns it into a little paper crane. 541. And as Mrs. Sasaki is leaving, she whispers a poem she used to say when Sadako was little. Oh, flock of heavenly cranes, cover my child with your wings.
1: I like Mrs. Sasaki.
0: Oh, yeah. She's a good mom. She is. Yeah, and I like
1: reading about the, the food. We have a A girl in our ward, Amy, that lived in Japan, has lived in Japan. She's married to a Japanese man. Mm -hmm. And they spotlighted her in our newsletter this week. And it said her favorite dessert was taiyaki, a Japanese pastry like a waffle, but shaped like a fish with red bean filling. To me, that's not like, I mean, a bean filling for dessert. Isn't that interesting?
0: I remember years ago when we were studying about Japan or China, we found this recipe for these red bean balls or something like that and rice you like fill it with this sweet red bean paste it is quite sweet and you don't think about that mm-hmm. as a dessert but it's pretty tasty Anyways, i just thought that was cool that i read this and i had just read that yeah it, that's awesome i've made chocolate chip cookies with
1: garbanzo beans in them before mm-hmm. you can't tell i mean maybe some people can but i can i like them. yeah so chapter eight last days hey it's july and Sadako seems to be doing a little bit better, and she is getting closer to her thousand cranes. And so um, she's feeling a little bit better, and so they let her go home, and she's excited to be home for the, the biggest holiday of the year, which I don't know what Oban is. It looks like it might be, uh, well, it's not like Halloween, but a special celebration for spirits of the dead who return to visit those, who, those they yeah, had loved right. on Earth. Yeah, but that's their biggest holiday of the year. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I know. You know, she's come home. She's brought her golden crane, her kokeshi doll. And there's all this celebration food there. They've got lots of family coming in and out. It probably tires her out is my guess because it's yeah, says yeah. that she gets weak and tired. So she's feeling better than she goes home and she's probably just exhausted. Yeah. Oh, and I thought this was really funny. Mr. Sasaki says, Sadaku certainly has good manners now. I mean, yeah. she's sick. Like, yeah. I guess it's like, this contrast between what she used to be and how she was kind of wild and hyper, whatever, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. And she, and Mrs. Izaki says, how can you say that? She's like, I'd rather have our lively Sadaku back. And I think about that a lot. You know, you get so frustrated with kids sometimes and you're like, someday I'm going to wish that there was a child here driving me nuts. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be sad someday, you know? And I think that, I think that too, with the kids as they're older, it's like, I, I miss them being little, even though when they were little, I was like, please grow because this is killing me. Yeah, Like I'd give anything to have her back the way she was Yeah. again. Like you said, she feels like she's making everybody sad and it's her fault. And that's, what's really frustrating about being the, the sick person is that you're worried about everybody else. Yeah. And that's like, it's hard to have that much pressure on you, right? Cause you're, you're the sick person and you're yeah. worried about everybody else. Somebody
0: that probably ends up killing people faster, just yeah. all the stress and worry about how they're affecting everybody else.
1: Isn't helpful
0: for <laughs> um, healing. No, I wouldn't think so. No.
1: And so anyway, she's worried about her family and she's also not feeling well. And so they just tell her, go to sleep. You're going to feel better in the morning. And it's just kind of that theme, like you're going to feel better in the morning. You're going to get better. It's going to be okay. But the next day she wakes up and she's not feeling better. And she actually has to go back to the hospital. And it says that every now and then she drifts off into a strange kind of half sleep. So she's probably kind of in and out of consciousness. And then she says, when I die, will you put my favorite bean cakes on the altar for my spirit? They're like, you know, that's not going to happen for a really long time. Let's not worry about that. Her dad says, you only have to make a few hundred more cranes and then things are going to get better.
0: Everything's going to be fine.
1: Yes. So anyway, she goes back to the hospital and she tells the doll, I will get better. And someday I'll race like the wind. Yeah. It says that she gets blood transfusions and shots every day. I love that she never complains about it. I mean, my husband is like that. He has a um, heart condition and he's been in the hospital a lot. And when he was a little kid, he got, you know, he'd go to the hospital and have to have shots and pokes and... Surgery or whatever. And he just never complained. And his mom would say that. He just, I think that's a gift that kids have when they are yeah. really sick and have to endure this. They're very patient. It says that her mom is spending more and more time at the hospital, probably because they're worried. When they come into her room now, they have to put on yellow slippers. So they must be being more careful in her room with like mm-hmm. germs or something. Her brother brings her a box and inside the box is a kimono the one that her mom had promised her that Mm -hmm. she would buy her and you know she's like why did you do this like i'm never going to be able to wear it
0: and it's so expensive
1: yes and her mom
0: sewed it for her
1: so she puts it on she gets she tries it on she says that she's glad they tie the sash and she's glad that her legs aren't showing she can barely walk and everybody says that she looks like a princess in her kimono this book was harder for me to read than a tale of two cities these last moments when you are with your family and somebody i don't know is so close to the end i think it's just so precious to to see how they sorry this is awful
0: it's okay i was like i'm going to cry during this book so you started it so that's okay
1: i'm sorry okay her friend comes in, Jazuko comes in, you know, like you said earlier, that only her brother and her parents are allowed to come in, but the doctor gives her special permission. <laughs> she comes in and says, well, you look better in that outfit than you do in our school clothes. You know, here we go again. Sadako's like, when I get better, I'm going to wear it every day yeah. when I come back to school, you know? And so that like, for a few minutes, they're able to just forget about everything and kind of go back to what life used to be like.
0: I'm like, why do I get the last chapter? But this one is probably even harder than the last <laughs> chapter. So because it is all these sweet moments of their family. And it's yes. just it is like you said.
1: When her parents and her family leave, it's like they're cheered up. You know, they had this last like little few moments that were like they used to be. And then she's able to fold if she's so weak that she can only, you know, every chapter, she usually folds a couple more cranes. She's only able to fold one more, which is 644. And it's the last one.
0: Okay. Chapter nine, Racing with the Wind. It's really interesting. Like in A Tale of Two Cities, we talked about how Charles, as he's like drawing near to death, like it kind of consumes his thoughts. Like, what is this going to be like? And then the same thing for her. And I think that's probably what the torture would be of like knowing that your death is coming. What is it going to be like? It's almost more merciful when somebody is taken quickly, you know, because they don't have to think about it. And she, she was like, is it gonna hurt is it gonna be scary but she's kind of like consumed with this she tries to forget about it but she can't and like you say she's so weak she can't even distract herself with making paper cranes anymore and and then her mom is there and when she was awake and she saw her mother crying and she's like don't cry and all she can think is she's brought her mother so much grief and it's like oh man don't feel that way anyway she actually tried to make one more paper crane But she was just too weak, and so the doctor came in and just said, okay, it's okay, just time to rest, and you can work on it tomorrow. And then the next time she awoke, all of her family was there. This is worse than a tale of two cities. Seriously. I'm waiting for my family to, like, peek in and be like, "Mom, what is wrong with you? All of her family is around her, and she's surrounded by them, and she is able to look up and see the paper cranes, and they're just – lightly blowing in the breeze. And then she goes to sleep and she passes away. She never wakes up. That is the end of the book. But there is a wonderful epilogue. Do you want to do the epilogue?
1: I I do actually. I think the epilogue is part of the best part of it.
0: Yes, it is.
1: So that was in nineteen October 25th, 1955 is when she dies. And her class had finished her paper crane, so they could bury all yeah. 1,000 paper cranes with her. And you know, it's kind of funny because I think she was looking for a miracle. Once she got to the 1,000 paper cranes, she was looking for a miracle. And I think the miracle was her focusing on the cranes all along. But then, like, sometimes I think we get too hung up on what our miracle should be. Yes, our version of the miracle. Yeah. And so, like, maybe her moving on was the miracle.
0: Yeah. And the effects. That she had on so many people. And even still, like, she never could have imagined that there'd be, like, two people just sitting here talking about her. Like, how many years later?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of people in the world that are, you know, these people that are special and put a mark on the world that we could be talking about her. I'm not very good at math, but, you know, 65 years later, whatever. And
0: so- 68 years later. Thank you. <laughs> which, you
1: know, my parents were two years old when she died. So so after the funeral, they take all of her letters and journals and they publish them in a book called, and they call it the Kokeshi, which is the same name as the doll that they gave her. Yeah. They sent that book all over Japan. And what was funny is they just printed it and stapled it together. Yeah. It was like not was a book.
0: Little class
1: just did it. It is yes. so cute, but they eventually built a monument for her in 1958. They had a statue built in Himo- Hiroshima, and people leave folded cranes there for her. What an awesome story! Peace Day, August 6th, they leave these cranes and they make a wish, and their wish is engraved on the base of the statue. This is our cry. This is our prayer. Peace in the world. I loved this. I can't wait till Presley's old enough to read this to her.
0: Yeah, so good. And all kids. I should read it and hear it. they also talk about the author and well the one thing i really liked about the
1: author was that she really wanted to get a copy of the kokeshi because she wanted to write this book but she felt like she needed that and you know, since they were just distributed by her class and they were just these papers, there was no way for her to get
0: one. She was just talking to one of her friends who'd been a missionary in Japan. Yes. She's talking to her about it. And she was like, oh, I have an original copy of the Kokeshi. And in the bottom of her trunk, she had the whole thing. That was just amazing. And I also love that it really became, Eleanor Koeir had spent quite a lot of time in Japan and she'd actually gone there in 1949. And it said that she was, kind of special because very few journalists, she was a journalist, very few wanted to go to a country that was just so torn apart by the war. And this is 49. So it's just a few years later, you know? But she was willing to go and and she'd heard about Sadako. And so it became a very almost personal story for her that she had an investment in it. And so that's another part of the miracle, I think, is finding that original copy. So, yeah. And I also like that at the end of the book it shows you how to fold a paper crane. Yes. I love it too. Have you tried it? No, I have not. I will need to try it, but I'd also like to find a picture of the actual, um, the statue in the Hiroshima Mm -hmm. peace park. There's got to be a, a picture. I know like in this part where it talks about Eleanor's, the misery and suffering that Eleanor witnessed was burned into her mind because that was the most difficult part of her trip when she was in Japan was when she was in Hiroshima, because she was just shocked by how horrible the destruction and death caused by the bomb was she it says that she hoped future world leaders would avoid wars at all costs. I think that's a really important wording. I know that I've read lots of places where people are like, Oh, the American government is horrible for dropping that bomb. And that was just how could they possibly do that? And I, the bomb was horrible. There is no question. It was horrible. I do believe that there was calculation in that it was like, what do we do? They were in a catch-22 situation because they were looking at Guadalcanal. They were looking at Midway. They were looking at all of the many battles in the Pacific theater that went on for such a long time and claimed so many lives. And they're like, at the pace we're going, this war is going to go on for several more years and co- and like cost at least 3 million more lives. And we have this bomb that will end it today. Yeah, they said it was dropped to end the war. So yes. I mean, yeah. war just
1: all around is tragic. But that's why
0: that's why I appreciate her wording that she hoped world leaders would avoid war at all costs because yeah. that was the problem yeah. was the war. The bomb was part of the war and it was awful, but it the problem was the war. Right? Have you ever known anyone who had leukemia? No. Like my
1: brother-in-law, his little his brother died. Of cancer when he was ten, and I don't know what kind of cancer it was. I, you know, I was thinking about his, their family when I was reading this, just like the family at the, you know, and all I know all along that he was supposed to get better, like, mm. and they don't know why he didn't. And so whenever you lose a child, I can't even. So unfair. And when Katie was two, we took her to the doctor, and I don't remember what was wrong with her, but they told us, well, it could be this or it could be leukemia.
0: Oh my! And gosh. we were just oh like, my
1: gosh, what? And so they did some test. I don't know, like a urine test or something, and and it was whatever else the other thing was. <laughs> oh it, but
0: that was a scary couple of days. Yes, good grief. Yeah, so I remember that, when no. I was little, there was a little boy who was in my primary class who had leukemia. He survived. Oh, that's awesome! It was crazy, but it stunted his growth. Like he was, he was always healthy and energetic. After he fully recovered, it was quite traumatic. Both his mom and dad were like super tall, just willowy people. And he never grew to be very tall at all. Like all of his siblings were super, super tall. I think he's probably still maybe my height. So it definitely stunted his growth and there's, you know, ramifications, but he did survive. But then like my mom, when I was just little, my mom had thyroid cancer. They were like, this is so weird. She also survived. They like removed the thyroid and and everything. But They are pretty sure that... So she was born in 1956. And at that time, they were doing lots of testing, like in Nevada. And her grandparents lived in St. George. And so they would go to St. George and they stayed there for quite a while when she was just a brand new baby. And St. George, of course, is not very far from the Nevada testing sites. And she actually... They had her drinking cow's milk. And so they've made this correlation that the cows ate that grass that was affected by the radiation from the testing the bomb testing and that affected her. And down the road, many years later, she had cancer. Isn't that crazy? As a new baby. As a new baby. There's
1: a plant in Springfield that is in trouble because all these people around it are getting cancer.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: David knows what it is, but I don't remember.
0: It's wild. It's like, Hey people, can we just stop? Nobody wants bombs. Nobody wants any of this crazy technology stuff. Sorry. What are some books that this made you think of? Like if somebody likes this book, what would be another book that they I
1: have miss? three. The first one, let's go with The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. I, it's been so long since I read that. So I couldn't really tell you. I think there's, it's like a boy and a girl that fall in love that have cancer. I believe they both have cancer. John Green is a, I believe, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to do a podcast Charlie listened to. And he's also an author. He's written a couple of other books too. Charlie wanted to read it and he was probably like 12 or 13 and I I got it for him and I let him read it. And then I read it and I was like, oh, I probably should have read it first, but <laughs> So just don't hand it to your 12 year old. Yeah. And it's also a movie. So if you don't want to read the book, you can go watch the movie, The Fault in Our Stars. And it's, if you want to cry, like we just cried, these are great.
0: <laughs> Seriously,
1: I was thinking of cancer books, right? So the other one is also a movie, but it's also a book, A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks. So that's about a girl who has cancer. Nandy Moore plays the girl in the movie. And that came out when I was, I think it was when I was high school, it was a good movie. And Nicholas Sparks is a pretty good author, I think. I I think I've only read one or two. Yes, like every year. And then the last one is Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Jaoud. I don't know how to say her last name. And this is about a girl who, at a really young age, gets a very aggressive form of cancer. She's like twenty-one. She goes through all these treatments, and then when she recovers, she decides to buy a van and go travel for her therapy. And so she buys this like Volkswagen bus and goes. And it has a dog and they go out and like, you know, she has a boyfriend that leaves her because he can't handle it. (laughs) And then like he's with her through all of it. And then when she recovers, he leaves, which I didn't understand. But she just goes and like does therapy through traveling through the United States. Anyways, that was a really that was a really good book. So that's like an older. The other two are, are teenagers that have cancer. And this one is like an older girl. And what she has to go through is horrific. Like mm-hmm. the treatments and like, you know, whatever form of cancer she has, the treatments are pretty mm-hmm. aggressive.
0: So I kind of went in a slightly different direction with the books I thought of. So the first one, it's just, so it's called Hana's Suitcase. It's World War II. It's it's written in a very interesting way. So it's called Hana's Suitcase by Karen Levine. The thing about it that ties it to this in a few ways is, first of all, it's like the children who are, the victims of these ridiculous wars. But even more so is that it's this little class in Japan that goes and finds her story. And she's this little Jewish girl from Czechoslovakia. Anyway, they like opened this whole exhibit in their museum to like remember these children. Hana, like I said, she was Jewish. She was taken. There's, there's this school that was put up for the children by the Nazis in these camps. It was before they were sent to, I believe she was eventually sent to Auschwitz, but it was before they were sent there. And the name is escaping me, but I would recognize it if I saw it. But they set up this school. And so these kids would go to school. There's this Jewish, beautiful Jewish woman who would teach the children art. She had art classes for them. Eventually all the children were taken out and sent to Auschwitz some of this little girl's artwork was left behind as well as like her suitcase, this little Japanese school, many years later, they wanted to find out her story. And so they found like some of her nieces and nephews who's, I believe Hana's brother maybe survived the war. Anyway, it's just a incredible story. Another one that you're just like sobbing at the end, but I would oh. highly recommend it to read to your children, but it, it's like, tying these two worlds together like who would expect that this little school in japan would be so passionate about sharing the story of this little jewish czechoslovakian girl wonderful book another one that came to mind is we're talking about childhood diseases and things it's just wonder by rj palakio it's such a good book and it's we where you know of course children are trying to figure out how to deal with somebody who has deformities and um and health issues but you have your heroes who always emerge. And of course, Augie himself is also a little hero and so brave, and his family is awesome. So that's another one that I, this made me think of. And last of all, it's a different angle and very different from these others that I've talked about, but Unbroken by Laura. Hildebrand. It's the story of Louis Zamperini, who was an incredible runner. And then he became a prisoner of war in Japan. So you get that angle as well. And you kind of see that perspective, you know, because he was aware of the bombs being dropped. But he also talks about all the flyers that American pilots tried to drop to warn the people of Japan, the civilians, because they did not want to kill civilians. They said, get out and hide. But the Japanese government was like, if you were caught with one of these, we're going to take you out and shoot you. Ignore the propaganda that the Americans are sending. So anyway, it's another World War II interesting angle. So
1: yeah, that's the one Tate has read like several times, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Awesome. You want a different angle. I like that. I have a very short-sighted mind or something. I don't know. I was like, cancer, cancer.
0: Well, I was trying to, like, I don't think I've read too many with words. Where- people have cancers. I I couldn't draw from that. Okay. So next week, we're going to put out an interview that
1: we did in the very beginning of our podcast for our next episode. So it's kind of a spring break for us. We're going to take a week off. We hope you enjoy that with our our friend Beth interviewed us at the very beginning. So it'll be interesting to, we'll have to go back and listen to it too and see what's changed since we put that out there. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be fun.
1: And then after that, we're going to start The Great Gatsby. Which is super exciting. What are you sharing with us today? I'm excited to share Um, mine.
0: Good. This one's kind of (laughs) weird. It's called Just the Nicest Couple. It's such a weird book. I think I've been like in kind of a weird headspace. It's called Just the Nicest Couple by Mary Kubica. Basically, it's another psychological one. At least it's supposed to be about these two couples who are supposedly best friends. And then one of the husbands goes missing and the wife thinks that he's just mad at her. This other couple, they're just like the perfect sweet couple. And the wife is finally expecting and she's had so many miscarriages and worried about that. But some events took place that could implicate her in the other husband's missing and possibly his death, maybe murder. It was a fun listen. It it wasn't like deep or amazing or I felt like I was changed by it. It's just like, it's
1: fine. Entertaining. You have to have those. Those are called palate cleansers.
0: They, you know, they really are. (laughs) I think that's the perfect way.
1: Especially when you read heavy stuff like we do. Yeah. Yeah. I need a palate cleanser. So the book I want to share is called Lighthouse Bay by Kimberly Freeman. Years ago, I read a book that I absolutely loved, Wildflower Hill by Kimberly Freeman. I loved it. I'll have to read it again someday. Anyways, so good. And so I think a couple of years ago, there was you know those Audible sales. It was Mm -hmm. like, here, buy this book for $2.99. So I bought this book because it was by the same lady. I was like, okay, maybe I should read these books that I have on Audible that I've never read, that I bought, that I've never read. So I started it. Oh, so good. It makes me think... I should read everything by Kimberly Freeman. Like, hey, oh, okay,
0: I'm going to write her name down.
1: There's two storylines, right? So this one lady is from like present time. She's been having an affair with this man for 12 years and he like drops dead. He has an aneurysm and he drops dead. So he has a wife and family. He dies. She finds out he had bought her this piece of property in Australia close to where her sister lives. She something had happened like 20 years ago where her and her sister had like a falling out and so She hadn't been around her, but this guy bought her this like lighthouse cottage. That's like at the bottom of the lighthouse spot, right? I know reading about the cottage and like, it's on the beach and everything. It was just fantastic. Mm. There's that storyline. And then the other storyline is this wife of a guy who's part of this like jewelry making family. They had created the mace, a mace. I don't even know what that is, but it had a bunch of jewels in it Mm. and it was supposed to go to the queen of England. They were on a boat and the guy was really mean to this poor lady. She'd had a son, she'd had a child that died at 15 days old. And he was just like, get over it. What is your problem? And he was really mean to her. So they're on this boat taking this mace, this expensive piece of jewelry to, I guess they're on their way to England. But anyways, the ship wrecks. So the only one that survives is this woman, the wife, and she has the trunk with the mace in it because- She had put a clipping of her child's hair in a bracelet Mm -hmm. and it was in with that. And so she like wanted to keep it anyways. So it's just like, what's she going to do? She's stuck on this Island by herself for a while. And then she ends up finding people, but Mm -hmm. she has to survive. And and she doesn't want anybody to know who she is because his family will come after her. Oh, it was very good.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. I'll see if I can find it look
1: her up and see what else she has written apparently I like her writing I wasn't as thrilled with the ending but you know most of it was but the whole
0: book kept you yes oh
1: yeah cool and I like books where there's two two plot lines Mm -hmm. back and forth you kind of it's almost like you're getting a break
0: yeah and almost like two books in one
1: and it was like 17 hours so oh wow okay I loved it so there you go We're so happy you joined us for this episode. We hope that you will join us next week. If you have suggestions for books we should read and discuss, please email us at thebestbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. We want to inspire and encourage as many people as we can to read out of the best books.
0: As Thoreau says, read the best books first, or you may not have a chance to read them at all. See you next week.